Hello there. Are you sure you're in the right place? See the name on the door? This podcast is spine chillers and serial killers. Surely you don't want to come in here. You do. Well, I must warn you that things are pretty adult in here. Absolutely no children are allowed. Obscene language, shocking and horrendous stories to chill you to your core, and terrifying tales that'll keep you up at night. The ladies inside aren't quite right. Lovely and hilarious, but very... strange. Still want in, do you? Well, you'll get what you're here for. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Becky. I'm Tash. And I'm Emma. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome in. Grab a chair. Grab a beverage of your choice. I do wish I had a blanket right now, though. So do I. Go get one. Why haven't you got blankets? No, because then I'll get too cosy and I'll... Yeah, you'll zone out. Yeah. It's not what we want on a podcast. No. It's not. No, we need focus. We need focus. I'm a bit paranoid about our intro now because obviously we've got the lovely Edward October seeing us in saying this is spine chillers and serial killers. And then we go, oh, it's spine chillers and serial killers. Um, because somebody commented on a YouTube video and I don't know if it was ironic or not. I don't know if they were being sarcastic because they went, oh, I didn't catch the name of the podcast. What was it? And I was like, do you mean that? Or And I answered like a twat, but I don't know if it would be... I don't know if we say the podcast name too much. I think we oh. only say it at the beginning, just out of habit, like nearly all the podcasts. Yeah. Maybe when we're rich and famous, we won't need to tell everyone what podcast it is. But until then, I'm going to shove it down your throat, people. Take it. Yeah. Take yeah. it. Call me daddy. Tell me my name. Daddy Becky. <laughs> yep. Everyone all right? Yep. All good in the hood. Fab. Oh, I've got something exciting. Have you? Go on. Wait, well, I thought it was pretty amazing. You know, last episode we were talking about haunted paintings. Yeah. And I asked if anybody had The Crying Boy because it was such a popular one. Oh, yeah. And one of our listeners and one of my dear friends, actually, Pippa, messaged me and she said she had seen a crying boy in the wild while she she was doing a car boot with her mum. And bless her mum, she bought the painting just to destroy it because she knew about the curse and she didn't want somebody else to buy it and then their house burned down. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. She's a hero. Yeah, go Pippa's mum, just saving everyone from curses. Yeah, lovely. Well done. So I'm not talking a load of bollocks, it's a thing. We never doubted you. Well, you know, sometimes you never know. No, it's just when I, when I was listening back at that podcast back, every time you said paintings, I kept hearing Mr. Bean going, painting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bex. I've referenced Mr. Bean today. How weird. How very Britishly niche that is, though. Yeah. Paintings. Everybody knows who Mr. Bean is. No, he's not famous in America, surely. Americans, prove her wrong. You all know who Mr. And Bean Australians. is, Australians, right? do you know who Mr. Bean is? Yeah. Ta-da. Anyone in the world, we shouldn't just limit it to certain countries. Tell us, where are you from and do you know Mr. Bean? Hmm. We want to know. Tash, yeah? sweetie, have you yeah? got out or out? Yeah, I've got sort of an empowering story, if you like. Oh, yes. yeah, I feel like being empowered before we talk about some murder and ghosts. Great, let's do the jingle. All right. Sit down, you boys and girls and everyone in between. Story time. Dash has stories for you, both funny and obscene. Ooh. Did she swipe right, swipe left, or find out he had a rash? Ew. We're about 
lot to find out Cause it's Tinder with Tash Oh, I never, never get bored of JT's No, we never do When you send it to us to listen to the podcast I'll rewind that bit and listen to it again (laughs) Oh It's a cheery tune He wants, because I said, I bet you do a fantastic impression of Kermit the Frog. And he was like, I actually do. And um, he did that. Oh, what's it called? Rainbow Connection? The Kermit the Song Frog. Kermit the Frog Song. (laughs) (laughs) Kermit Kermit the the Song Frog. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And he emailed it to me. And sometimes when I'm feeling sad, I just like listen to him singing Rainbow Connection and it cheers me up. Please, can you send that to me? I want to listen to it. Yeah, 100%. Thanks. 100%. Oh, does he it's take like, requests? <laughs> <laughs> it's like so pure. What's the word? Oh, like wholesome. Wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wholesome. So, anyway, go on then, Tash. Talk about wholesome. I matched with this guy ages ago. Like, I couldn't even tell you how long. Like, I'm talking probably a couple of years. Like, obviously, we were talking initially, and then every now and then he'd, like, crop up. Just, it wasn't somebody that I blocked, but um, obviously, I think just every time it would fizzle out. Anyway, so he did the classic cropping up about, I want to say, like, a month ago. What's new, stranger? Yeah, essentially that. I was quite like blunt and was basically like, oh, this again, let's chat for a few weeks until it fizzles out and we never talk again until one of us gets bored type thing. Oh, I love Tash so much. I probably was really horrible. He was like, no, it's not gonna be like that this time. He was like, let me call you. So we had a couple of telephone calls. We actually FaceTimed and I was like, oh my God, like, you're really cool. Like, why haven't we met? But I will be completely honest. I cannot remember any of the conversations from the previous times we spoke. The only reason I know is because he pops up on my phone and he's got a saved name in my phone, but I can't, I've deleted the chats. I can't remember what was said. Anyway, so we've had the FaceTimes. Um, I was like, you're really cool. You like Marmite. I like Marmite, you know. I like wine, you like wine, like all sorts of fun things that we connected on. (laughs) My mind, wine, that classic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like he gave me a tour of his flat on FaceTime. He had some cool like art on the wall. And I was like, so let's get a date in. Like, let's lock this down. I reckon the reason it fizzled out previously is because he lives really far. So he lives like the other side of London for me to get the train to him would be you know a good hour and then to meet in central london or whatever but i was like listen i'm down let's let's give this a whirl he's planning on moving sort of my direction in the nearest future so i was like well you know if something's gonna work it'll work regardless of the distance right within reason you know he doesn't live the other side of the world it is literally no 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 it's only an hour yeah so i was like i am free in a couple of weeks time i'm happy to come meet you in london like let's go for drinks whatever and he was like yeah really want to do that i had another facetime so like the conversation's going well and then nothing Oh, for fuck's sake. So I asked him a couple of questions, like, relating to something that he told me. Like, he was having a viewing on his flat. And I was like, how did it go? Do you think you've got a potential buyer? Like, I was, like, taking a genuine interest. Because we all know that I don't like the chit-chat. I don't want you to ask me how I am. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, ask me a proper question. And, um, yeah, didn't reply. So... I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. So I may or may not have got drunk and called him and sent him a voice note one night. (laughs) Like, I shouldn't have done that. That was a bit shitty. Like, I was just like, I thought you were the one. Obviously, I was dramatic and drunk. And I was like, I thought we were going to, like, go on a date. And then you've just ghosted me again. I was like, what's the point? What do you get out of this? Blah, blah, blah. But previous to that, I'd actually sent him a message saying like, 
don't really know what's happened. Thought we were going to go on a date like next weekend. Yet you've just aired me on like three blatant questions I've asked you. Anyway, all the best to you. Good luck in the future. But like, don't contact me again. I just thought I'm going to draw a line under it. I'm not going backwards and forwards with you for another three years. Messaging. I can't, like, I've got better things to do with my time. Yeah. Then I called him and left him this drunken voice note with like Shania Twain blaring in the background. <laughs> he then messaged me the next day and was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I've been really busy. Stuff's been happening, blah, blah, blah. So I apologise for calling him drunk and messaging him drunk because that's not cool. And then he then didn't reply. <laughs> so I messaged him to apologise. He still didn't reply. I'm like, right, okay, whatever, hun. So that's my Tinder with Tash. So like, it's it's frustrating again, isn't it? Because every time I think, oh, you've, I've got a connection with someone, we both like Marmite. And then, yeah, nothing. Shit, man. It's just frustrating. I think you're going to meet the one and it's going to be like old school, organically. None of this dating app shenanigans. Well, I've sort of come off the dating apps, apart from when I'm bored. Yeah. Actually saying that, didn't you meet your husband on a dating app, Becky? Yeah, I did, yeah. Well, I'm not going to slate them then, but I do think Tasha's going to... Yeah, but that was like, what, eight years ago, Beck? Yeah, it was before Tinder was a thing in France. I think it was before, yeah, and and I think the way people date now in general is just so different. Yeah, dating in 2023 is different to dating in 2015, 16, I think that was. Yeah. Yeah. You're just going to meet a friend's mate or somebody's cousin that's coming. That's what I'm hoping. No, I I know how it's going to happen. You're going to be in the supermarket and for some reason on the day that this happens, the supermarkets are going to give you a brown bag like in the American yeah. like in American supermarkets. Yeah. And that yeah. bag is going to unfortunately break just as you're leaving the shop and then a handsome stranger maybe it'll be primark <laughs> or like marks and spencer or some you know something they like do that. paper something. bags now in marks and spencers yeah well i think you know like maybe you're going in there for like a nice treat meal for yourself and then yeah. like you you bump Girl into dinner. a high class gent on the way out who picks your apple up yeah. and it's like excuse me man did you drop <gasps> and then he catches your face and he's like oh i'm sorry i I was just taken aback by by your beauty and here's your apple and i'll be like come share my apple with me i've got some cheese as well (laughs) (laughs) do you like marmite (laughs) and wine (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's how it's gonna be that's how it's gonna start well that or me and my other friend, I do have two up more up more friends other than you two, I am sorry to say. I'm glad you have other friends. Thanks. Yeah, only but only two maximum per country though. We're the two France friends. And then you're allowed two English friends in okay. England, that's it. Rachel, yeah. Rachel's one. It actually not Rachel. Well, Rachel is one, but it's actually another person other than Rachel. So you've got three. You're saying you've got three. Yeah, I've got three. Oh, you've got to cut one, babe. Sorry. Oh, shit. Who am I going to no, cut? It's this? okay. You're allowed friends. We're not that no, type I'm only of joking. friend. Um, you can only be our friend. <laughs> only us. Forever and evermore. <laughs> Creeps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just embarrassed that that noise is going to be on the podcast. Now, Becky noises make this podcast never be embarrassed. <laughs> never be embarrassed. Uh, anyway, she's convinced that she already knows who her future husband is. Like, she already knows him and has met him, but it's just the wrong time. So maybe that's the case for me. That sounds okay. That sounds like that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, um, I'm just, it's just frustrating, isn't it? Because when I tell myself, right, date seriously. You just get fucked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But never mind. On to the next. Murder? Murder. Is it me to start, then? You are the murder one. This is going to be a hard story because I cannot pronounce anyone's name. Yes, I love it when we fuck up words. Yeah. 
paintings. Um, <laughs> it wasn't the way that you said it. It was just the I just you said the word painting. I was, I was like, who reminds me of that? And then it was it was that. It was Mr. Rowan King. Atkinson. Right. So Christine Marie Paolila. That sounds nice. Yeah, really lovely last name, to be fair. Yeah, I think you said that perfectly. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, So she was born in Long Island, New York, on the 31st of March, 1986. Her father died in a construction accident when she was just two years old, and her mother, Laurie, later moved the family to the suburbs of Houston. So during her kindergarten years, so I meant to look up... That's basically primary school, isn't it? Kindergarten. No, isn't kindergarten nursery? I think it's like preschool, isn't it? They start school later in America. Like, is I think it? you're like age seven or something. No. Oh, I but don't they... know. Listen, I, I don't think it really matters. No, it doesn't really matter. Anyway. <laughs> I, I've got something to add to this conversation. Paintings. <laughs> Fuck off. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Kindergarten is actually a German word. Yeah. It is. Garden of children. Is that what that means? No, keeping of children. Garden of children sounds disturbing and horrible. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. During her kindergarten years, Christine was diagnosed with alopecia. Oh, fuck. No, that's awful. Yeah, so a medical condition that led to loss of her eyebrows, eyelashes, and her hair. So she was almost completely bald. It was like quite, it wasn't just patches. Yeah. So in addition to this, she experienced difficulties with her eyesight and was was required to wear a very thick pair of like jam jar glasses to compensate oh, for her. You're going to say she's got, she got bullied. Yeah. So the unfortunate re- reality is that her physical appearance made her a very easy target for bullies. She was often bullied and ridiculed from those around her. This constant bullying took a toll on her self-confidence and her sense of worth. Yeah, absolutely. Poor kid. Yeah. Throughout her school years, Christine was subjected to unrelenting harassment as a result of her baldness. Aren't kids horrible? They're just the fucking worst. I tell you what, if I ever catch my kids bullying, wow, they are going to know about it. Yeah. Horrendous. Is it something to do with empathy? Do they not have empathy yet or enough? bullies? Well, kids can just be really not very nice with stuff that they say. And I'm just like, why have you said that? That's really horrible. Yeah. Yeah, You know what I mean? Just like the careless things that they say, unless it's just kids being careless, I don't know. No, it probably is. It probably is something in the brain that's not quite developed yet. But either way, it's mean. Yeah, kids are just horrible. Or they can be. They can be horrible. Take the piss out of the girl that's bald because she's sick. Yeah. Yeah. Poor love. She concealed her baldness with her wigs and she drew, learned to draw on her eyebrows. So the kids were so horrible at her school that they would even go so far as to snatch her wig off her head causing immense emotional distress despite obviously going into school about it and that it's it was horrible for her mother to see her child so upset uh, all the way from her school livid i would be going to those parents house and saying how the fuck are you raising your child yeah i go and shave all that child's hair off yeah see how they like it obviously I, i wouldn't do that i'm not down for that i am if somebody's taking the piss out, somebody's sick and being bald. I'm. I'm not saying I would, but I'm also not saying I wouldn't. There was a girl um, with alopecia in my in my secondary school. I remember, but no one was. I don't think anyone was horrible to her about it. Well, good. I just remember her eyebrows being absolutely um, perfect because she was so good at drawing them on. Yeah, and this was years before we all started drawing our eyebrows on. <laughs> Anyway, so Christine eventually attended Clear Lake High School in Houston. So when she got a bit older. So while she was a student there, she became friends with two popular girls, Rachel Colarutis and Tiffany Rowell. They taught her how to dress, how to do her makeup, 
They helped her buy more attractive wigs and find clothing that suited her figure, you know, to like blend in with their little social circle. This is sounding like one of those American coming of age high school films. Yes. Literally the next sentence is, so the transformation was so drastic that in 2003, Christine's fellow classmates voted her Miss Irresistible. And this is all starting to sound like a teen movie. (laughs) It is. Yeah. It's just like any teen movie, this happens every time. Yeah, I wonder if she came it, down the stairs and then everyone was like, wow. Wow. Yeah. You've, that's what your I'm hair's no longer in a ponytail and you've taken your glasses uh, off. You've taken those <laughs> glasses off and you've got a dress on. Woo. Woo. You've waxed, waxed that moustache. And I'm always uh, the one that's like, oh, you were kind of better with the ponytail and the glasses, mate. Not going to lie. <laughs> now you just look like everybody else. Anyway. What was I wearing at work today? Ponytail and glasses. Shuksha, shuksha. Rocking it. Glow down, glow down. So yeah, these, so this, this was nice because like she made some cool friends, like the popular girls as well. Just like a teenager's dream. So her school life was looking up. Around the same time, after her makeover and newly found popularity, Christine began dating a, a guy called Christopher Lee Snyder. So this is the part of the movie where the girl who gets the glow up then goes and gets the hottest guy in school, maybe a football player. The one who won the genetic lottery and acts all tough around his friend, but has a soft, vulnerable side that only Christine can see. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's not what really happened. Oh. Christopher was a 21-year-old man. So Christine's mother and stepfather really disapproved of their relationship, as did Rachel and Tiffany, Christine's popular girlfriends. Why? It's because Christopher Snyder was a known criminal and frequent drug user. So not the type of guy that you want your little girl to go out with. Well, no, not ideally, no. No. So his extensive criminal record concerned those who cared for the naive, impressionable Christine. Unfortunately, their concerns were valid when Christine began using drugs herself. And I fucking hate people that get their friends or girlfriends into drugs. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Rachel and Tiffany tried to tell Christine that Christopher is bad news. But she was like, no, you don't know him like I do. I can change him. (laughs) Yeah, he'll change for me. The toxic relationship was doomed from the start. Christine and Christopher frequently had vicious arguments. Christine became known to Chris's family as the psycho, according to Chris's sister, Brandy. Wow. Because of her obsessive behavior and crushing jealousy. Christopher had to call the police on Christine several times. When they would fight, Christine would sleep in the front lawn of Christopher's house, of, like, their family house. It's not just his house. It's, like, where his family live. That's a bit crazy, Christine. Yeah. And she'd, like, rattle the door, smack on the door until he'd let her inside. Oh, no, let's not do that, babe. Nah. So while she was smacking on the door, she was screaming and threatening to kill them all. Oh, fucking hell, definitely let's not do that. Come on, come on in. Yeah, you changed my mind. Yeah. (laughs) still they were already one of those toxic couples that are toxic af but they just don't split up yeah you know everyone's known a a couple like that you're just like why don't you just split up please you're terrible for each other so yeah they wouldn't split up a decision that would have devastating results oh god so on the 18th of july 2003 christine and christopher visited so they went over to tiffany's home in clear lake city and at the house was rachel tiffany's boyfriend marcus priscilla and marcus's cousin adelbert sanchez they were all like hanging out together and then christina and christopher turned up the plan was simply to like rob them and steal their drugs and leave so that's why they went to their house. It's a nice plan. Yeah, of her friends. Yeah. You know, that's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Then like a an argument broke out between Christopher and Tiffany's boyfriend, Marcus. 
And then the confrontation escalated. And then all of a sudden, Christopher and Christine began shooting. What? Everyone in the room. What the fuck? Yes. They both had guns on them. I did not see that coming. Did you see that coming, Tash? No, absolutely not. I'm like, sorry, what? (laughs) Excuse me? So they basically all went round to play PlayStation and then had an argument. It just doesn't feel like a natural progression. Yeah, it just went from, yeah, zero to 100 in a couple of seconds just because two guys decided to had an argument about something. Oh, fucking hell. It's not clear who killed who, but the couple fired at least 40 rounds in total. All four of the victims had numerous bullet wounds, and Rachel and Tiffany were both shot multiple times, including in the crotch area, which is an evidence of sexual jealousy. That was uh, Christine that did that. Mate, these girls have been nice to you. What the fuck? Yeah. So Rachel initially survived the shooting and began crawling through a puddle of her own blood to reach her mobile phone to call 911. That's when Christine realized that Rachel was still alive despite being shot 12 times. So Christine grabbed the barrel hover of her pistol, holding it like a hammer, and used the butt of the handle to bash her best friend's head in, while Rachel the whole time just cried out, Why? Why? So Rachel eventually would choke on her own blood, and that's how she'd pass away. It's horrific. I literally don't know what to say. Less than an hour after committing the murders, Chris drove Christine to Walgreens where she would clock into her job at the makeup counter as if nothing had happened. Are they high? Like, there must be something. Well, they were both on drugs, so I don't know if they were tweaking at the time or what. But anyway, when the crime scene was discovered, police didn't really know what to think. And there was like a lack of evidence at the scene. It looked like they'd all kind of been executed. Uh, They also noted the distinctive overkill of the female victims and also that they'd been shot in the crotch as well, which is not something that had happened to the the two males. So they think that their killer had an intense personal animosity towards the female victims. Yeah. Because of the lack of evidence, the case kind of just goes cold. They don't have anything to connect Chris and Christine to uh, to the crime. It would only be three years later that they'll have anything else going on in the case. The case was known as the Clear Lake Massacre. So for three years, the two killers were just scot-free. Nothing was happening to them. They were getting on with their lives. Christine and Chris broke up in 2004, so like a year later, because he went to jail for stealing a car. So that's when she decided to leave him because he left a car, not because she killed her friends with him. So after that happened, she checked herself into rehab, which is where she met her soon-to-be husband, Stanley Justin Rott. I don't know that meeting your husband in rehab is a good idea. I don't know. You, you, it, somebody understands the struggles and the... Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so these guys got married in 2005. Months later, on April 2nd, when Christine was watching TV news coverage of the murders, she saw a composite sketch of the suspect, uh, suspects, and the girl just looked exactly like her. Someone that she went to rehab with in Texas, so not her husband, someone else, she confessed to the murders. So when this person got out of rehab, they went to the police. Fair play. Yeah. And uh, the police took them seriously because sometimes the police are a bit funny with like addicts and recovering addicts and stuff. They just kind of count them as not reliable. So no, they uh, they took it seriously and the person managed to um, give them a, a really good description. After seeing this sketch on the news, she confessed to her new husband that she had murdered four people with her ex-boyfriend. Uh, and he was like, it's, it's okay. We'll just go on the run together. So they went on the run together and stayed in a hotel room for several months straight without leaving. So when police got tipped off to where they were staying, 
they turned up to the motel and they found an absolutely disgusting hotel room littered with more than 100 needles from heroin use and the the whole room was smeared with dog feces dog feces where where yeah. are they getting dog poo that's weird i think they must have had a dog in the room with them and because they were high all the whole time the top dogs was shitting everywhere and they're what painting finger painting with it I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they've smeared it on the walls or whether there's so much poo in there that it's just been trodden everywhere. So going back to Tasha's original thought, it wasn't a good idea, Tash, to meet her husband in rehab. I knew, no, I knew it wouldn't because be. they just got straight back on that heroin and then smeared poo all over the walls. Does maybe explain why he was like, oh, no, it's fine. Let's just go on the run because I was like, no, that's not how yeah. normal people act. No, this is just an excuse. Let's go and take heroin again. Authorities arrested Christine outside the motel room. Stanley told the police about his wife's confession. So he was a complete grass. He was like, oh, yeah, she told him. He just like completely folded straight away. Yeah. But surely he's an accessory now because he's been like, he knew and he didn't do fuck all. I don't know, but I think they were just happy to get information. Yeah, she's the one that committed the crime. Yeah. So. Yeah, but concealing a crime? Surely that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, I bet it is. But I think they'd rather take his information in exchange for maybe not going after him. I don't, I don't know if he got charged with anything. I didn't look him up. Okay. Yeah, anyway, so he started, like, telling the police that she'd confessed the crime to him. And he actually told them that she had also said that she had violently taken Rachel's life by bludgeoning her to death. Yes, she also shot them, but she also really violently... It was her that did that, it wasn't him kind of thing. Yeah. When she was interrogated by the police, Christine blamed her former boyfriend, Chris, for everything. She says that it was Chris who came up with the idea to rob her friends. It was Chris that surprised her by throwing a pistol at her before they went in the house. She was also surprised again when he all of a sudden started shooting Marcus. So much surprise. Yes, <laughs> she's very surprised all the time. She's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. A gun? I'm so surprised I'm going to beat my friend to death in the head with this gun. Almost what she said here. Look, so when, when she saw Chris started shooting Marcus, she says the first shot triggered a rampage inside of her and she claimed that the gun went off on its own and she began firing blindly and sobbing, which is a load of shite. Because she also said it triggered a rampage inside her, yet the gun was going off by itself and she didn't want it to. In two sentences, she's kind of like... Yeah, contradicting herself. Yeah, contradicting herself. So her story didn't add up at all. It does not. No, especially with the part that Rachel was beaten to death in the end. No, but Becky, so, she was she was really, really, really surprised. Yeah, and that gun was just she firing was. itself. And she was going, oh no, oh no, I'm just just really on, not on purpose leave shooting everyone. Four people are running around here, yet I managed, managed to hit them all with this gun. She obviously reloaded it at least two or three times as well to shoot 40 bullets out of it. So police charged both Christine and Chris, with capital murder. Christopher found out about the arrest warrant against him, so he was still at large at this point. What he decided to do was go into the woods, and he took an overdose to take his own life in August of 2006. That's what we call a bit of a coward. Yeah, so he noped out. In October 2008, Christine was found guilty of four counts of capital murder, But as she was a juvenile at the time of the crimes, she avoided the death penalty and instead received a life sentence. But the question remains, why did she do it? Yeah, because she was a crack whore. Yeah, no, I think a lot of it was jealousy. Christine never apologized for the killings and she is never given a motive. However, psychiatrist Gail Saltz believes that her actions were driven by envy and jealousy towards her popular friends, as she thought that she'd never be as popular and cool as them. But you were! They were nice to you! I you know. were in the cool what crowd! The fuck? Yeah. 
Wow. It'd be different if they were like, oh, come and be our friends. And then actually they dump a load of... What I is thought it they that's do? what is was going to happen. Yeah, I, I thought, thought that, was... that too. I yeah. thought that, what, like pull a carry? Like yeah. yeah. Queen, covered pig's in pig's blood. blood. Yeah. yeah. But no, they were just nice girls. They were both, you know, lovely looking girls. But she was apparently other people that knew Christine and including her boyfriend's sister, Brandy, said that the jealousy was just really visible. And she was like, it's really visible to her own friends. Um, so that's what they, that's what they think it was. And that's why she also shot the girls in the crotch as well, because she was jealous. She was like, take that. That's, that's why she did it. I don't understand how there's jealousy. Why would you do that to people that are nice to you? That's why I don't understand. I know that she was tormented, but when you are like that, when you are bullied, when you do find friends that accept you, you're so happy. You're not in jealous of them. And I think maybe the jealousy was intensified with her taking of drugs. Yeah. It probably messed with her head more and it made her just think about the negative. I don't think they were sober when the shooting happened. They can't really have don't. been. I mean, no. Jesus Christ. I was literally speech- speechless. I thought that was going to go. They were either going to, one of them was going to kill the other, or the nice girls were going to turn out to be bitches, and she was going to go nuts. I did not see just them turning up and shooting everybody. That's mental. It just shows what people in that state of mind can just go from being normal to all of a sudden just taking four lives just like that. It's insane and absolutely heartbreaking. Horrible, yeah. All young people and just take them before they've even done anything with their lives. Yeah, they're just chilling, just chilling, playing a bit of PlayStation and gone. Yeah, yeah. Awful. Anyway, that's my story for this week. Well, thanks, Thanks, Bex. But <laughs> your thanks at the end is always a bit like thanks for the misery. <laughs> I like true crime because I find the human psyche fascinating. But that case has shot the shit out of me because I just can't get my head around it. So weird, isn't it? Okay, this is a very spooky one, ladies. So hold on to your knickers. <gasps> I'm not wearing any. Cheeky. Oh, you tease, you tease. <laughs> Tash? Yeah? Are you wearing knickers? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's winter, so she might be. Need an extra layer. What? Why is she just <laughs> laughing? <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> I was laughing whilst trying to think about something witty to say, but I couldn't find it, so I just laughed instead. Okay. <laughs> We'll never know. I'm I'm going to guess she's not, guys. Just free the V here. Okay. Now, I actually talked about this story ages ago, and I said it was a really cool story, but I wasn't going to cover it because there's a- another podcast that's covered it, and they've done it a lot better than I ever could. But I have decided that our listeners deserve this story and that I can do it as well as they can. Probably not like with the um, people that went through it giving me interviews and stuff, but I can, I can tell you a good story, so I'm going to do it. Go on, girl. You good storyteller. Back yourself. Yeah. See, I think that was quite a long time ago when I was like, oh, no, I can't, I can't. And now I'm just like, fuck it. It's a good story. We're doing it. Yeah. Cute, spooky music. <gasps> it started with a key. A silver ornate key laying in the middle of 15-year-old Shirley Hitchens' pillow. She'd never seen the key before, and it looked very out of place in their very normal Victorian terraced home. The Hitchens family lived at 16 Wycliffe Road in Battersea, southwest London. There was Dad, Wally, a train driver on the underground, Mum, Kitty, who suffered terribly with chronic arthritis that had left her wheelchair bound. Shirley's adopted brother, John a surveyor in his 20s, and finally, Grandma Ethel, an imposing presence measuring six foot four and weighing 250 pounds. I'm loving Grandma Ethel. Yeah, you do not want to mess with Ethel. Okay, so just to resume, we've got Shirley, 
Wally and Kitty are her parents, John's the adopted brother, and Grandma Ethel. And that's the family. Okay. Shirley shouted to her dad that she'd found a strange key, but he told her to put it on the mantelpiece and he'd look later as he was busy helping Kitty with her bath. When he did come out, he couldn't find the key. Shirley said she'd put it on the mantel like he'd asked, but now it was nowhere to be found. She eventually found it right back in the middle of her pillow. That's weird, she said. Maybe you forgot to move it, suggested Wally. No, I remember doing it, she replied. Thinking no more of it, Wally tried the key in every lock of the house, every cupboard, every sideboard, even furniture in the attic. It didn't fit anything. But we all have random keys in our houses that we don't know what locks they fit, right? So, nothing too weird about that. But this was not the case for the Hitchens. The key represented the start of something terrifying that would not relent for over a decade. The key was the beginning of the Battersea poltergeist haunting. Oh, I was kind of hoping that you would go in more Indian in the cupboard. Do you remember that film? Yes, little Indian, yeah. Made me obsessed with keys, did that. (laughs) Obsessed with keys after that film. (laughs) But, now... Don't quote me, but I am pretty sure that the Black Monk of Pontefract at some point manifested a key to the family and they were like, ooh, this is a fancy key. And they didn't know where it came from. So, hmm, keys, poltergeists. It's a thing. So that night, the 27th of January, 1956, the banging started. Loud, resonating thuds that sounded like they were coming from all over and nowhere at the same time. Like they were coming from the roots of the house. The sound was so intense that the family felt like they were living through the blitz again. The family huddled together in absolute terror as the walls shook from the bangs. John and Wally went all over the house trying to find an explanation. If anything was wrong, John would find it because he's a surveyor. But no, structurally, the house was sound. The noise lasted all night until dawn, and then peace regained the Hitchin's residence. But not for long. When night fell and everyone was asleep in bed, the noise started again at 3am. This happened to the family every night and even sometimes during the day for two weeks solid, getting more and more loud and violent every night. They began hearing loud scratching coming from inside the walls and the furniture and the headboards of their beds. They were all exhausted. The neighbours had complained, accusing Wally of doing nighttime DIY. But as he said it had nothing to do with him, the bang started again in front of the horrified neighbours. They ended up calling the police, having no clue where to ask for help. Of course, the police arrived and everything fell silent. Still, They made a report about the strange occurrences before leaving. Kitty was chatting with Shirley about it, and Shirley said, No, Mum, not it. Him. Kitty was taken aback by this, but trying to keep the conversation light-hearted, she said, Well, we'd better come up with a name for him. After all, it didn't appear to be leaving any time soon. They decided on Donald, after Donald Duck. Good name. As they said, he seemed to have the same grumpy personality. Now, this may seem like a silly name, but knowing that Kitty's first idea was Spooky Willy, (laughs) I'm glad they chose Donald. Spooky (laughs) Willy and he's banging. Yeah, Spooky Willy. Ethel, so Granny Ethel, was upset about this conversation. Being a devout Catholic, she didn't think naming it was wise. In fact, she'd prefer that they didn't acknowledge it at all, saying it was evil and unholy. Donald was about to ramp things up another notch. He had now exhausted the Hitchens, so he was about to show them what he could really do. The furniture began to move. Heavy pots and pans would fly off the stove, hover out of the kitchen, and speed up to either hit the wall or a family member. Chairs would be dragged around. Wally's slippers would walk around the house as if worn by invisible feet. And I don't know why, yeah. That particular mental image is really terrifying. Can you imagine just seeing a pair of shoes, like, just walking about? Yeah, it's not for me. No, I don't like it. Wally also got slapped around the face by one of Shirley's gloves as it flew off the ground without anyone else around it. Like, 
Oh my, uh, in my head, it's like, you know, like a jewel. I challenge you to a jewel slap. Yeah, in my slippers. One night, the real horror show began. Shirley had gone to bed and the rest of the family were downstairs when they heard her screaming, Dad, Dad, come help me, please. They rushed upstairs to see Shirley clutching her bedsheet as it was being pulled off her. Wally jumped in to help, but he couldn't match the strength of Donald and the sheet flew off the bed. The sheet under Shirley also was tugged out from beneath her, sending her bouncing all over the bed, screaming for help. She then went stiff, head back and back arched. She began to levitate from the bed. She floated above it in front of her entire family, sobbing, not understanding what was happening. Yeah, it's horrible. After what no doubt felt like an eternity, she fell back onto her mattress and ran into her parents' arms. She felt like she was going mad. Why was this happening and what did it mean? It was at this point that the media got a hold of the story, either from the frightened neighbours because they'd all begun crossing the street in front of the house out of the fear of loud noises coming from inside, or the police report got leaked. Either way, the press went mad. Shirley's face was on every newspaper in the UK and then worldwide. The Hitchens were now not only tormented every time they stepped foot inside their home, but hounded by journalists if they dared to leave. The media coverage did come with one positive thing. It brought the family Harold Chibbert, a.k.a. Chib, a paranormal investigator who really wanted to help them through this. They were dubious. They didn't have a lot of money. But Chib reassured them that he didn't want paying. He really did just want to help. So he stayed with them to witness things for himself and try to find explanations or things that could appease Donald. The press surrounded the house at all times, day or night. Weary, the family decided the best thing to do would be to let a couple of them in and give them an interview. Their hope being that once they had what they wanted, they'd go away. The reporters questioned Shirley and they spoke about the bangs and taps that they could hear. The Hitchings explained that their daughter had come up with some sort of a code to communicate with Donald. One tap for no and two for yes. The reporters then started speaking directly to Donald and asked if he would leave Shirley alone. Came the answer, which means no, no, no. They asked if he was in love with Shirley, meaning yes. Of course, this led to a multitude of sensationalised headlines. Girl has ghost boyfriend and the likes. The Hitchings were disgusted. They were romanticising the whole thing when they were all genuinely scared to death. The media just seemed to be making it a big joke. The activity continued in the house. A clock would float off a cupboard and land gently on a table at will, and their piano would play itself. Don't like that either. Pianos. Yeah, don't like it. It's not it. cool, is it? Uh-uh. Or floating clocks, to be fair. Can you imagine you're just having a cup of tea and there's a clock floating across your living room? I'll be honest, Em, there's not much about this that I'm enjoying. Okay, that's that's all right. Well, I mean, I'm not here Not in a bad them. way, do you know what I mean? Like, but... yeah. Uh, it's a bit spooky yeah Ethel was more and more distressed by the ghostly occurrences and asked her priest to come over and bless the house he did and sprinkled holy water all over the residence and all over Shirley that will do it yeah she then placed her ornate crucifix in Shirley's room now Donald obviously took offence to this and at night the bangs scratching and thuds were even louder than usual and the crucifix was thrown at the wall with such violence that it got damaged. Now, Chib, remember Chib? He's our paranormal investigator. Yeah. He'd warned Ethel that the blessing would do nothing but antagonise the poltergeist, and he was spot on. Well, Chib knows. Chib knows his shit, man. I'll tell you what I am enjoying about this story. The names. The names, yes. Ethel, Wally, Donald, Chib. I'm here for all these names. I mean, it's very England in the 50s, isn't it? Yeah, they're good. Well, I mean, Chib, I don't know if that is, but I'm enjoying the names. I'm assuming well, his Chib's... first name's Harold. Oh, I mean, even, yeah, great. 
So Chib had warned Ethel that the blessing would do nothing but antagonise the poltergeist and he was spot on. Donald did not want to be removed. At this point, Shirley had left school and had got her first job as a seamstress at Selfridges. Oh, go on, girl. I know. She enjoyed sewing and she was good at it, but that would be ruined by the poltergeist too. Soon came the knockings and the tappings. Shirley's heart sank as she realised that Donald could follow her outside of the house. She'll never get any peace now. All her co-workers of course knew exactly who she was from the newspapers. She was that poltergeist girl. They steered clear of her, fearful of the odd sounds that followed her around. And then, scissors began to go missing. Six pairs in total. Shirley was called to the office as one of her colleagues had surely said it must be her and her ghost. They searched her and obviously found nothing, but she was fired all the same, too creepy for the workplace, and was frightening her co-workers. As you can imagine, the family at this point are at their wit's end. None of them are getting any sleep. Shirley's lost her job. The media are constantly printing horrific headlines, making them all look like crazy people. And most of all, they are living in constant fear. Wally also gets called into his office at work. They tell him he needs to take time off as he's so tired. He can't very well drive a train when he's half asleep. As he's leaving work that day really low, understandably, a colleague called Harry Hanks approached him. Again, great name. Yep. Harry Hanks. Hey Wally, I know you just got put on half pay, that's really awful, and all because of some ghost. Wally really didn't want to talk about what was happening at home, especially with a work colleague. But Harry continued to say he could help. He was a psychic medium, and he could get Donald to leave Shirley alone by doing an exorcism. Wally was taken aback, he had no idea Harry was into all that stuff. But if he could get rid of the poltergeist for good, he was definitely game. Back home, he told everyone the news about Harry. Chib said to Wally not to believe everything this guy was saying. All the psychics he had ever come across were just showmen, good at reading a crowd, shouting out names and details until somebody bites. Chib went on to say how dangerous an exorcism was, but Wally didn't want to hear it. Chib had been with the family some time and had not been able to get rid of Donald, so maybe Harry could. The night of the exorcism was scary for Shirley. People in the circle around her praying and chanting whilst the lights flickered. Luckily, Chib had gone along too for moral support. She'd begun to see him as a real friend. He held her hand when she pleaded to her dad to take her home and he flatly refused. At some point, there was a loud bang at the door. Harry's wife went to see who it was and it was the police. Someone had tipped them off that black magic was being done at the property and they were supposedly trying to summon the devil. Everyone was interrogated as black magic is illegal. The affair took on such proportions that it was even discussed in the Houses of Parliament as Harry's local MP stuck up for him explaining what they were actually doing. So that's pretty massive that, you know, got all the politicians deciding whether exorcisms and black magic were okay or not. Yeah. Oh. After that incident, of course, came more newspaper headlines about how the family were dabbling in the dark arts. I love the word dabbling. Such a good yeah, it's word. A good it word. is a good word. The Hitchings were now well and truly social outcasts. Either people laughed at them and accused them of faking it, or people were afraid and wanted nothing to do with them. The papers accused Shirley of causing all this by herself by clicking her big toe which seems utterly ridiculous when we take into account levitation, floating objects, the whole house clattering and pounding so loud that the neighbours could hear it. I mean, that's one powerful big toe, right? Yeah, that's a good crack on on the toe. She's obviously breaking her foot every time. I mean, they got this because there was, I can't remember what they were called, but there were two sisters who said they were psychic and communicated with spirits through tapping. And they had something called hammer toe, which is where you can click the joint in your toe so it makes a crack. That is disgusting. And that's what they were doing. But well, if I really push down like on my toes, I'm pretty sure they'll crack eventually. But I don't want to be doing that all the time. It's going to hurt. No. But they, oh, that, they were definitely funny. doing that. They weren't psychic. They were just using their toes. But here, it's silly. She's not. Just can't get over the fact that someone can crack their toe that loud. 
Yeah. Hamato. Hamato. It's Hamato. <laughs> do, 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 do. Mm-mm. You can't crack this. <laughs> <laughs> I love you both. I did nothing. <laughs> Just laughed. <laughs> In utter despair, Wally asked Chib to leave, and the family would try to live their lives best they could. Sadly, that was wishful thinking. Oh, dear. At first, the exorcism appeared to have worked. Donald fell silent, and they all held on to the hope that he was finished and bored of using Shirley's energy and had moved on like Chib had said he would. Poltergeist activity never lasts long. They burn themselves out eventually, he had said. But this wasn't the case for Donald. Maybe the exorcism had made him weak, but as soon as he had enough energy, he was back with a vengeance. He was noisier now than ever before, deafening the family with the sounds of dragging furniture, huge bangs and thuds all night long. And he now also had a new trick to show them. Fire. Tea towels had been placed over the lit gas hob, a pile of them, and they were all ablaze by the time anyone noticed. Bloody hell. Panicked, the family put the fire out, but were terrified at the new apparent will to cause harm. Poor Ethel, too, had begun to get pushed around and down the stairs, which is not really what you want at 70. No. They're always with the pushing down the stairs, aren't they? Yeah. And the fires and the bangs. I mean, there is a pattern. Another fire broke out. Kitty and Wally's bed caught fire. In the rush to put it out, Wally had been badly burned and ended up in hospital. His wounds left doctors confused because underneath the burn were three long gouges as if he'd been attacked by something with claws. Chib heard about the fire in the newspaper and went to visit in the hospital. They welcomed him with open arms and Wally begged for him to come back and continue his investigation. He moved back in with the Hitchens and saw how the media had destroyed poor Shirley and made a suggestion. Why not invite another journalist in to stay the night? If they see what's really going on in here, there's no way they could blame it on Shirley's toes. (laughs) Although extremely worried about making things worse, they all agreed it was worth a shot. They invited a young female journalist named Joyce to come and sleep over. She agreed, but brought her boyfriend along with her to help if all this poltergeist talk was true. Now, I read this and just assumed that Joyce and her fella would be sharing a room for the night and would go through the ordeal together. But no... Joyce was to share a bed with Shirley and the boyfriend would camp outside the door. Poor Shirley, how bizarre having to share your bed with a complete stranger for the night. And not only that, Joyce insisted in holding Shirley's hands and trapping her feet between her legs to disprove any foul play. Right, that's weird. It's creepy, right? Yeah. I mean, arguably the weirdest thing of the whole story. It's very strange. Why are you touching her? Well, she wants to make sure she's not doing it. That's fucking weird, mate. Shirley's 15, right? This is creepy. Yeah. So they both get their pyjamas on and into the strange sleeping arrangement and listened out for Donald. And he didn't disappoint. The scratching in the headboard could soon be heard. He's here, said Shirley. Joyce began to shake. She didn't know what she'd been expecting, but it wasn't that Donald was real and Shirley had absolutely nothing to do with it. And yet, that night, the poltergeist was going to really show her how real he was. Mm. And that's the end of part one. (gasps) You're going to leave us hanging. Yeah, I'm going to leave you hanging. And poor listeners, I'm going to leave you hanging for two weeks. Hope your arms are strong. Hang but, on for that long. <laughs> that was funny. Well that done. was funny. Oh. No. But yeah. <laughs> See, incentive to come back. Yay. So what do you think about Donald? Well, he's not a duck. He ain't no duck. He ain't no duck. Um, I mean, I want to see where it's going. Yeah. I want to see how this can get worse. Yeah. That sleeping arrangement was weird. Yeah, I'm not happy with that. No, I hope someone was kind of standing watch to see what was going on there. That was a bit weird. Um, well, the boyfriend was at the door, but again, weird. Like, mm, weird. I don't know. But then Chib, 
luckily, really nice guy. He's just turned up at their house and gone, hi, I'm a paranormal investigator. Can I move in? And they've gone, yeah, sure, come. Yeah, it's a bit weird. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? It's really weird. It's and, like, really I'm not going to have anyone moving in with us. Like, and then let's invite the journalist for a pyjama party with our 15-year-old daughter. Yeah. Mad. And the boyfriend sat outside the door as well. That's weird as well. Yeah. It is well, a bit, why... it's a bit, bleh, I don't like it. Yeah, that's weird. So yeah, there we go. I'm done. I am excited because that time off, I've actually really been able to delve in and get really passionate about the story. Not that I'm not passionate about my stories, but you know, when you get a really juicy one and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. How many parts do you think it's going to be in? Oh, probably just two. Yeah. Yeah. Prob- I'll wrap it up um, next recording. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good one. I don't know what that noise was. Purr. <laughs> it was purr. <laughs> purr, purr. Just like a, a lazy cat. Purr, purr. <laughs> purr. Purr, purr. Right. Shall we let these lovely, lovely people go? Let's yes. Let the people go. Be gone. Be gone. Be gone. But come back in two weeks. Watch out for keys. Yeah, and give them all to me because I, I still like keys. Yeah. I like rocks. You like keys. Tash? <laughs> Tash isn't a loser. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what I'm really, really into at the moment, and I don't know if you're going to appreciate this as much as I do, especially Emma and Becky, to either of you, is taxidermy. <laughs> it's so weird. I'm, I'm always, obs- like, if I'm near some, I have to look at it and really stare. And sometimes I touch it, but I don't want any in the house. I've got nothing against taxidermy, right? Because the things are already dead, aren't they? When they they're start. already yeah. dead, yeah. It's not like people are going out and true. Oh, true, I don't true. know actually. Like the deer heads and stuff, people have gone out and shot them. But I mean, like roadkill—that's like a trophy. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, roadkill and stuff. You're meaning those not- really weird stuffed foxes that we see in the car boots, or the weird ferret things that we see? Yeah, 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 yeah. I tell you the ones that I <laughs> I'm obsessed with at the moment is the like pole dancing mice. Oh, I was just gonna oh, say, I have you those. seen the woman that does the taxidermy mice and puts them in all like weird, funny little Yeah. Obsessed with those and obsessed with the like mini alligator crocodile things that have like sparkly bikinis on. Oh, Oh, I haven't seen those. I've seen the mice. I just like the funny ones. Like, but I really, really want a taxidermy animal. Well, I think you should make it happen. Yeah, I keep, I am, I'm always looking up to see, but like the crocodile that I wanted was $180. Taxidermy is very, very expensive. It's an art form, right? To get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was $180, and that's an, obviously in the US, so then to get that shipped would probably be quite a lot. So Yeah. yeah. If anyone wants to gift that to me, do let me know. And I will, yeah, if you've uh, got some taxidermy hanging around that you don't want anymore because it's creepy as fuck, send it to Tash. I want the funny stuff. I want the funny stuff. I want, like, a mouse dressed as a hooker or... Oh, know. did you say a hooker? Yeah. A, a sex worker, darling. The mice are sex workers. <laughs> Or like the dancing crocodiles in like sparkly bikini tops and hula skirts. You're That's so weird. Want. Yeah. I'm You're really so weird. weird though. Christmas is coming up, darling. You never know. You might find a dead stuffed animal in your stocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, on that note, guys, stay safe. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Taxidermy weird. Don't taxidermy your grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine Ethel taxidermy. She just six foot four. Where the fuck will you put her? (laughs) Bye, guys. (laughs) Let us know next week. Bye. Where would you put six foot four Ethel? In the corner? A coat stand. Tell us more. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Twat. <laughs> bye. 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 Bye.
So Christopher found out about the Fister Fister Fister. Just fucking Fister. Fister. It will surprise her. It will surprise her. She's surprised very easily. She's surprised by anything. I would surprise anyone. Yeah. A, f- a finger's a surprise. A fist is just unnecessary. A finger's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to yawn. Hold on. There we are. Oh, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's massive. Like my dick. <laughs> <laughs> That sounded like they were coming from oh oh no. Was the was the noise she made? Yeah, during the from the bangs. Yeah. Yeah.